This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast. I'm excited about how it's growing. It's getting a lot of traction. Thank you for sharing it. And today, I wanted to share a podcast that I actually did with Dr. Caleb Cooper on his podcast, which is called Uncompromised Revival Fire. He started it in October of 2020. It's doing very well. In fact, I looked up how many podcast downloads it had, and it's about three times as many as I had my first year, so I was really complimenting him. Uh, He's all excited about the book and reached out to me and asked me to do the podcast, and of course, I was glad to do it. It's a little longer than usual. He just kept asking me questions, but I think you'll enjoy it. You would have heard some of the things before, but he just has a a unique, very warm way of kind of pulling information out of you. And of course, I think that it's very, very important. In fact, we just decided as a team here at Charisma Media that we're going to relaunch the book uh, later this year as a trade paperback and give it a whole new marketing life, so to speak, because if anything, cancel culture is increasing. I do want to tell you that we are selling it for half price. I mention it in my podcast with Dr. Caleb Cooper. But if you go to my website, stevestrangbooks.com, putting it as half price. I'm doing it to encourage people to go to the site and buy it. You can't buy it that inexpensive anywhere. But from me, I can sell it to you for that. And I'm happy to do it. And also, it lets me see real, real quickly how many uh, people are responding from my podcast. My podcast have really taken off. I don't know if you know that, but have the Strang Report plus this podcast. And when you add them together, this month, the month of January 2021, I am already at 750,000 downloads. Can you believe it? I've never had anything like it. And so without further ado... Here is my podcast with Dr. Caleb Cooper on his podcast called The Uncompromised Revival Fire on the Charisma Podcast Network. And remember, go to stevestrangbooks.com to get a half-priced copy of my book, God and Cancel Culture. I'm excited today to have my friend on the line, Steve Strang. He's the founder and CEO of Charisma Media. Time Magazine listed him as one of the top 25 most influential evangelicals in America. And before I have him greet you, we're going to be discussing a powerful book that I believe Holy Spirit has stirred him to write. And it's really been impactful in so many different arenas, but it's called God and Cancel Culture. Stand strong before it's too late. So before we dive into this, Steve, thank you so much for jumping on. If you don't mind, just take a moment and greet our podcast listeners. Well, Caleb, it's always good to be with you, and hello to everyone in podcast land. Uh, We're so proud of Caleb and um, his having a podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. It's doing very well, and um, I just so admire, uh, you know, what you do. In fact, uh, people may not know that I actually got to know you through a a podcast originally or or maybe it was some kind of news story when you were standing up to the cancel culture of the state of new mexico during kind of the height of the you know all the covid shutdowns in in uh, early 2020 and uh we did a podcast and then we did a podcast with your sheriff and kind of friendship developed and 
I just so admire you. You are so full of fire. So that's a, a, a great title for your podcast. Well, thank you, Steve. I, I, I really appreciate that. You know, I was this morning just, just thinking about you and, and, and what God is doing in you and through you. And by the way, to all our listeners, you can follow Steve Strang's podcast through Charisma Media as well. It's the Strang Report, which he'll probably mention again towards the end. But, you know, I spent this morning, Steve, no exaggeration, a couple of hours going through your book. I've been through it a couple of times, but I really felt like we're, we're better at dialoguing on a podcast when we put ample amount of time into it. And so I went through over 100 pages of your book just to refresh. And once again, it's it's had impact on me today already, you know, in the last couple of hours. And so thank you so much for writing the book. I, I want you to just take a moment, if you don't mind, this, this entire podcast is going to be about this book. We're going to break down multiple things, and I think it's going to be so in, insightful to those that are listening. But you wrote the book, God and Cancel Culture, Stand Strong Before It's Too Late. I know Holy Spirit prompted you, but where were you at? What was the moment when you felt like, you know what, I need to write this. I need to document so many different things that's happening in the nation and across really the globe. But what was that moment like when you felt just stirred? Well, you actually had something to do with it. You might not know this, but uh, I had written four books about Donald Trump. Uh, the first one, which was the biggest, was God and Donald Trump about the miracle of his election. It was followed by Trump aftershock, the aftershock, you know, in the first year and a half after he was elected and all the things good and bad that happened. And then I did a book called God, Trump and the 2020 election, which was my passionate argument on why we had to um, elect him because all the bad things that would happen if we didn't, sadly, we've seen them come true. And I had a chapter on why he might lose. A friend of mine actually challenged me to include that because I, I thought uh, he would win with the booming economy and people getting kind of fed up with all the nonsense. Of course, I wrote the book and it actually came out uh, almost exactly two months to the day from when the lockdowns happened with um, COVID, COVID-19. Um, then it, when um, COVID happened after the book came out and everything was shut down, the whole supply chain was shut down, bookstores were shut down, everything was shut down. Uh, I wrote a quickie little book that we actually released on electronic only. We later did a, a paperback version. It was called... Uh, God, Trump, and COVID-19. Well, when the election happened, it was a huge, huge disappointment and all the questions about it. In fact, when I wrote uh, Why Trump Might Lose, election fraud was kind of the number one thing. And I predicted some of the things that happened. I did not know about the Dominion software thing. That was a surprise to me. But some of the other things, the ballot harvesting, uh, lying and, you know, so forth. I mean, we've had these things happen before. And, um, you know, I'm not really very partisan uh, here in Florida where I live. You have to sort of declare one party or the other. So guess which party I declare. But uh, right. I've been both a Democrat and a Republican. I've never been involved in party politics at all. I'm talking about the parties never given him a penny. On the other hand, I've supported 
a number of righteous candidates, including Mike Huckabee in 2008, my own friend Scott Plakin, who is in the Florida legislature in Tallahassee, that the local newspaper said he was the most conservative member in the Florida legislature, and they didn't mean it as a compliment, but of course he took it as a compliment. <laughs> you know, I'm just giving some examples. Um, but, you know, I'm, I was just so concerned about election integrity. And, you know, the sad thing is that when election fraud happens, it is almost always on the Democrats. Now, that's not to say that every, every Democratic uh, state is is fraudulent. But, I mean, going back to John Kennedy, uh, you're not old enough to remember it, but I was a child and can remember. He won by a vote in Cook County, Illinois. Um, it was almost a situation like Florida. It was so close between he and Richard Nixon. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence that, that Cook County um, – Illinois, which is, you know, Chicago and, and is known for corrupt politics going back decades. And, um, you know, it's won the election. Of course, it's happened many times since. And my own mother, who lives here in central Florida, we moved her into assisted living. It meant a new precinct. She can't drive, of course. I went by, picked her up, took her to the poll, and they told me she couldn't vote. She had, you know, her... She doesn't have a driver's license, but she has a government-issued ID. She had her voter card, and right. it was because they said she voted. And I said, no, she didn't. She can't even drive. Mother, did you vote? <laughs> well, I can't remember. But I know that somebody went through that old folks' home, took all those ballots, and didn't expect that somebody like me would take the real person to the the poll. But I couldn't prove anything. But, you know, if it could happen in Sanford, Florida, I figured it could happen anywhere. So, wow. in fact, I'll tell you a joke. I, I hope this doesn't sound unkind, but, you know, I heard someone say that their uncle uh, voted Republican all his life, but after he died, he voted Democrat. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of a joke that, you know, there, uh, there are people who are dead who vote, and they almost always vote Democrat. And I'm just kind of disgusted about the whole thing. But anyway, getting back to your question, when all this happened, I thought, I've got, I've got to speak up. Where is God in all this? What is really happening to the culture? Well, I wasn't going to write about Donald Trump again. I wasn't going to beat the drum about election fraud or January 6th, which you were at, and kind of reported from the front lines for our Charisma News uh, website. And I thought... I really started thinking, what could I write about? And I decided to call it cancer culture. I could have called it wokeness. I could have said God and wokeness or something. But to me, cancer culture, which is really not new, it's just a new term that we use. Right. I mean, tyrants have always been trying to cancel people who don't agree with them, whether it's North Korea today or uh, Adolf Hitler in the Second World War. And what's happening is we have people who are tyrannical in their attitudes, at least, trying to cram down our throats some kind of leftist agenda. You know, this goes way beyond Democrat and Republican, even liberal and conservative. I mean, the Democratic Party today is not the Democratic Party of uh, Harry Truman or even of Bill Clinton. It's just way, way left. And, you know, what they did is they trotted out this 
longtime politician who kind of looked like a 1980s um, Democrat, Joe Biden, who would just passively go along with anything they told him to do. Now, maybe there's a little bit of hyperbole there, but I really believe that he's he's kind of a figurehead. I I kind of feel sorry for him. Right. But they knew that Bernie Sanders could not win. They knew that Hillary Clinton couldn't win. And they were able to get Joe Biden to win. And on election night, when it looked like he was going to lose, they shut down the vote. When do they do that? Like never. And suddenly by morning, they found all these boxfuls of votes, all of them for Joe Biden and none of them for anybody else on the ballot. That is election fraud on the face. A fifth grader could tell that something was wrong. I mean, that's just if you're going to cheat, that's just like um, proof of it. But yet, you know, these people turn up. Oh, these are all valid. Oh, we've got to every vote counts type. You know, the words they say make a lot of sense. But and, and really, it's not even about the specific election fraud. It's about what's happening in our nation and them trying to cancel the voice of conservatives uh, most Bible-believing Christians are conservative for all the reasons that you and your listeners would understand. Right. But this is not about politics. It's not even about conservative values such as too much national debt or any of those kinds of things or, or even gun control. I'm a big believer in the Second Amendment, but um, but I think that they're trying to cancel Christianity – in our culture, That's right. and whatever whatever Christianity is allowed to exist in their world is just a shell with no power, no influence. There are some who are even trying to make the Bible call it hate speech because it does not agree with the anything goes um, agenda, and um, it's getting very very serious. Really, the country is pretty evenly split, and the country's been pretty evenly split for a long time. I mean, I've studied the pilgrims, and of those 102 pilgrims that came over, including the crew, about half were, they called themselves saints, and they called the others strangers. They were people that, you know, there was like a company that got, uh, uh, would fund the colony, you know, uh, pay for the ship and their supplies and all that stuff to get a colony going over here. And they needed blacksmiths and, you know, just different, um, you know, people to be on it. And they weren't, they weren't necessarily church going, God fearing, uh, uh, separatist. The, the Puritans actually came later. These, these people wanted to separate from the church of England so much that they separated to this continent. But I just, when I read that, I thought, you know what? That 50-50 split goes way, way back. Look at the Old West. Right. There are a lot of little white churches with a steeple out in the Old West, but there are also a lot of hard-drinking gunslingers that are Westerns have kind of uh, made into cultural icons, but those people were not godly at all. And you know what they did upstairs with uh, – Miss Polly or whatever her name was, was not exactly godly, if you know what I mean. Right. It's just that it was a wink and a nod and, you know, it seemed harmless enough and you could pretend you didn't know what was going on. But this culture is now rapidly, or at least parts of it are rapidly anti-Christian, uh, godly standards. And nice Christians 
who, you know, the Bible talks about praying for your government so you can have a quiet and peaceful life. Yes, we all want a quiet and peaceful life. A lot of us keep thinking, well, you know, let's just leave them alone and they'll leave us alone. That's That's been the mantra for the last 30 or 40 years. This All this nonsense, I mean, if you go back historically, and I can actually make an argument um, and prove my case historically, but that's not the purpose of the podcast. But a lot of these changes went back to the 1920s. And actually, you can trace it all the way back to Darwin, where instead of God creating life, life just kind of happened. And, you know, it's just been step by step by step since then. And um, we can, you know, we all know that Christians just kind of passively go along with things. But we're at a point now where we can't. And thankfully, there are brave people, and I include you in it. Um, I even included you in uh, one of my books and how you stood up and got the gu- uh, the uh, sheriff to stand up with you and so forth. I mean, good for you. These, these government officials, mostly uh, governors, who had this power, this emergency power because of this pandemic, uh, they had enormous control during a crisis, so to speak, and they took advantage of it to shut down the churches. Right. And I've, in fact, just last uh, Saturday, I spoke at the Reawaken America rally in um, Phoenix, and I made this point that, you know, they considered that churches were super spreaders, even though every church I know of, uh, they would go out of their way to sanitize, six feet distancing, wear a mask. I'm talking about the height of the, you know, the shutdown. And it's like it didn't matter. They were going to be super spreaders. And if you went to church, you were going to die of COVID-19. But you could go to Walmart. You could go to the grocery store. They were not super spreaders. Surprise, surprise. You could go to the liquor store. You could go to the marijuana dispensary in the States to allow it. You could go to the gambling casinos. People needed that. They needed to relax because they were under so much stress because of COVID. I mean, this was the argument that was given. But if ever America needed the church, it was when people's relatives were dying and, and they couldn't even be with them when they died. They couldn't even go to the graveside. Uh, kids were out of school, families were driving each other up the wall because, you know, they couldn't even get out and get fresh air. In some places, they wouldn't even let you go outside. Thankfully, here in Florida, even at the height of the shutdown, people could go out, you know, to the parks and different things. And thankfully, you and other pastors, Rodney Howard Brown in Tampa, uh, was the first one. He was actually arrested. He was arrested and they took a mugshot, and he was actually in a holding cell for an hour or so until they could sort it out. Thankfully, the state of Florida um, unscrambled that egg. Churches were called not essential. Rodney was arrested because he went against the Hillsborough County Commission's rules about assembling. And, um, and as soon as the... Calling churches non-essential almost like slipped through or something. Interestingly, media companies were considered essential. So Charisma Media never shut down one day. Warehouses were essential. So our warehouse didn't shut down. Now, the stores were shut down, but Amazon.com kept ordering books. And so we never, 
you know, we never slow down. But and to me, if a publishing house is open or shuts down, that's not the issue. We happen to be a Christian publishing house. To me, it's the churches. We have a First Amendment right, a freedom of religion and freedom of assembly, two different rights, both of which were violated. So um, our constitutional rights do not go away just because there's an emergency. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, the courts have almost always ruled in that direction. But these governors, a lot of whom do not like the church, usually they're not church people themselves. Usually they know that the church supported their opponent and tried to make them lose. And this is a way to get back at them. And, you know, I say it was a a pandemic today. What is it going to be tomorrow that they use as as an excuse to shut down churches? So bravo to you and your congregation there in New Mexico for standing up to these bullies and, uh, and also your your sheriff. And if uh, all of my podcasts are on the Charisma Podcast Network, there are 854, if I counted right, uh, and people can get them. Uh, they can also search your name or your sheriff's name and find it that way as well. And I encourage people uh, to do that because I think it's interesting. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to – I need to look up and see how many people um, – did that. But before we go on, uh, my secretary just handed me a number that your uncompromised revival fire with Dr. Caleb Cooper, which started on November 12th, 2020, has a total of 114,228 downloads. And that is amazing. I got 14,000 downloads my first year. And I think it took me to my second year to get that many. So good for you. Wow. You're building up an audience, and it's obviously it's obvious that people want to listen to what you have to say. Well, <clears throat> once again, Steve, I, I appreciate that. And you, you've said so much. You know, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you can tell that we are calling you right now to a place that you've got to recognize that cancel culture is nothing to play with. This is a real weapon of the enemy in the last days. I want to encourage you right now. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And in 2020, I know Steve could agree with this. There was really, and there might be a a sixfold or a sevenfold or a ninefold weapon the enemy was using, but fourfold, I can definitely identify there was a virus, this pandemic, election fraud, cancel culture, and blatant attack on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all four of those things were used. Once again, a virus, election fraud, cancel culture, and a full-blown attack against the church and Christianity, which we believe is the end game of cancel culture, though they're going after businesses and all kinds of things are happening. But Steve, in the first chapter of the book, what I love is you brought it to really just layman's terms, just step out of all, you know, our position on Christianity. And you make this statement concerning if Dr. Seuss could be canceled then really nobody in this nation is safe. And we saw where even the president was canceled. And so I love the way you kick off chapter one there. Maybe you can give a little bit of enlightenment to those that are listening right now that nobody's safe. You know, here I am on the backside of a desert. No one really knew where our church was, though we were impactful in different arenas, but it came after us. And we're just a small church here in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, a city of 6,000 people. But when the enemy wants to attack the church, he doesn't discriminate. 
He's coming after those, especially if you're willing to stand. So Dr. Seuss wasn't safe. Even in many ways, charisma wasn't safe. Speak to our audience for just a moment about. Well, cancel, cancel culture is kind of a groupthink, and it's a leftist groupthink. It has no place for God, and there's a whole lot of tenets that go along with it. And there's other groups that have groupthink. I mean, in some ways, conservatives um, do too. Um, but I think the leftist groupthink is dangerous, and one of them is that you you can't. Um, that it's really bad to have any kind of stereotypes at all. And, you know, I don't have, in a way, I don't have a problem with that. You know, we, there are un, unkind stereotypes. Uh, but with Dr. Seuss, who we all grew up with, I hear the man is dead. He's almost like an icon. President Obama himself uh, did some kind of presentation on Dr. Seuss's birthday at, you know, during his administration and really said how wonderful he was. And what happened was I went back and looked at these things myself. I had to see, it was, you know, part of my investigation. But in earlier years, like in the 40s and 50s, he would have these characters that were either Asian or black. And so he gave his little cartoon figures, you know, you know, he made these little cartoon figures that were kind of half animal, half human. I mean, how they looked. And, um, you know, he made them with some stereotypes, slanted eyes, uh, thick lips, you know, that kind of stuff. I didn't personally see anything wrong with it. I just didn't. In fact, I talked to a couple of my black friends and I said, help me to understand this through your eyes. And about the best I could come up with is, well, we're just you know, we're just uh, tired of people making us look like savages from Africa, you know, and I guess I could feel their pain a little bit, but I didn't think he made them look like savages. I think he just wanted, you know, in the same way, if they were Mexican, he put a big sombrero on their head or something, you know, so you could kind of tell that they were Mexican. That was all. Yet the books were uh, declared to be racist because of that. And not only that, the publisher withdrew them. Libraries took them out of the library. You couldn't buy them. And what it is is they're trying to have some kind of left-wing purity uh, and anything that doesn't agree with them. And uh, really, the left is just horrible about their – they're again – they go after their own if, if they're not leftist enough. And one example is a lady named Abigail Schreier. Sorry, I stumbled on her name, but uh, she is a self-described Jewish liberal who became very concerned about the fad of young girls, young teenagers wanting to be transgender. Now, historically, the percentage of people wanting to who have sexual dysphoria, they call it, who kind of don't know if they're male or female, is an extremely small percentage of the population and is almost always young boys. Now, there are a a group of girls, it's a fairly small percentage, who, for whatever reason, get on these fads. Usually it was like bulimia or, you know, where they would vomit to try to be real skinny. And uh, 
and like a group of girls in the school would do it, then a bunch of other girls. You know, Sh- Schreier was sort of describing this, but now the new thing is transgenderism. They all think they want to be boys. And she says this is dangerous, giving hormones and disfiguring their bodies and all this kind of stuff. She was sounding an alarm. She was an academic, and it was very thoughtful. And the left went crazy. Uh, even the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, who supports people's right to say things that are unpopular. You know, this is over the decades. They they were they condemned it. They said that the book should be banned. Uh, fairly prominent uh, professors at different places were saying that they should have book burnings. I mean, it was just there was hysteria. Well, guess what? This opened up this woman's eyes to the left. And this has happened in a lot of places. Candace Owens, if you recognize that term, she was also a liberal. And the left really came after her, you know, different circumstances. And uh, she calls it taking a red pill. That's when her (laughs) eyes were open. And, you know, thankfully, this is happening in some cases. But I'm using it as an example of where the left will devour its own and, um, because of the uproar, it was a national uproar. This was not a minor thing. A lot of the cancel culture is so minor that you can't prove it, and it's against a person, and the, there's no way for the person to even let people know about their predicament, and then by the time you look into it, you can't really prove it. Uh, I was canceled myself this week um, when my book came out, you know, the publicity department uh, contacts TV stations and radio stations and podcasters, and they came up with a podcast. I'm ashamed I can't remember the name of it. They were real nice ladies, and it had to do with moms. And they interviewed me on the podcast. And then I took that podcast, as I will your podcast, if you give me permission, and I will put it on my podcast, like with a little introduction, say, you know, uh, I was interviewed, and I thought you'd be interested in hearing this. Absolutely. So anyway, then they put it on Facebook. And just last week, they took down the interview. And to me, uh, in fact, I need to track that podcast down and listen to it to see what I said that was so controversial. <laughs> to me, it was a very similar uh, conversation to what we're having now. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a journalist. I'm used to seeing both sides. If you pay careful attention, you'll notice that my speech is peppered with disclaimers. Um, and But yet they took it down and banned her from Facebook for like two or three weeks. You know, wow. they, they put you in Facebook jail to make you behave. And what happens is when people get canceled or when they hear that the president is canceled or Dr. Seuss is canceled or Mike Lindell is canceled, they think, boy, I better be very careful or I'll get canceled, and then I call that self-cancellation, and I believe it's the most dangerous of, of all, where people are afraid to say anything or even to speak their convictions, lest they become um, the subject of all this wrath. And these people are vicious. They're just vicious. They want to they want to take away your right to earn a, a living. There's examples in the books book of, of where... Uh, people wear a sweatshirt with the wrong political candidate's name on the front, and they're like kicked out of school. 
there was a Marriott employee who posted something kind of critical of uh, China. Hey, guess what? It's the communist nation. It's very oppressive. I don't know what it was he posted, but it was something. And Marriott Corporation does so much business in China that the Chinese uh, complained, and the guy was fired. Wow. And, um, you know, they they want to just get rid of you. I mean, it's, you know, in an earlier era, they would have taken you out and shot you instead of shooting with guns and killing you that way. They kill your reputation, your right to make a living. Uh, they ruin your life if they can, uh, you know, but it's by social media and uh, that kind of thing. It's been going on a long time, but it's just gotten to a point where we cannot put up with it anymore. And, we haven't totally lost, but at some point it's going to be the point of no return. That's right. Um, and, you know, thankfully we have courts, but, you know, you, you can't go around suing the government all the time. Most people don't have the money to do it. Uh, the courts only take a small percentage of the cases that are even filed. But you know what? We can rise up. And the next time there's an election, what we need to do is vote these people out of office who are who are putting this into effect but you know it's not really the government the government is is involved like the governors we were talking about but really this is in the culture okay. you know the, the the government did not ban dr seuss you know and it's the big tech giants that are that are doing a lot of this and then it's just crazy people on the internet or at least they act crazy right um, who will just hound people and and uh, be mean and say mean things. And it's just, it's a very, you know, technology, there's a lot of wonderful things about technology. Uh, our lives are easier in a lot of ways because of technology, of course. But this whole social media thing has just empowered people um, it's given them a platform. It's empowered them. They can find each other on the Internet and encourage each other and all this kind of thing. And we who are believers need to stand together, too, and just say enough is enough. Right. And there are things that the government could do to uh, – I think that the government ought to break up big tech. Um, and here in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis is actually trying to do fines against big tech when they take away people's rights and so forth. There are some states, some very conservative states, but there are a lot that are very, very liberal. That is, they're almost like socialist. I mean, uh, I was with some people last week from California, and they were just telling me just it's like living, almost living in a socialist country uh, because of how the government is. And uh, thankfully, I live in the free state of Florida, so I don't feel that personally in the same way that they would. But uh, I just think that people need to stand up. And that is the one message. That's why it's the subtitle of the book. Well, Steve, what, what I love about this book, and I'm, I'm just, this is the clearest way I can communicate it is when I go through the chapters, there's a flow to this. You know, when you, when you pick up this book, as you're listening right now, you're going to find that these aren't just random chapters and it's all over the place and it has no continuity. What what Steve is doing in this book is there's such a flow that I believe the anointing of the Holy Spirit has produced this flow. And I want to just kind of put it in words for you so that you can understand that flow has power because flow in a book, this particular one, exposes 
really the ultimate strategy of cancel culture. So let me give you an example. As you're on this line, I want Steve to speak to to this in just a moment. But first of all, you're not safe, no matter where you're listening from. You're not safe from cancel culture. So you're going to have to stand up immediately and counteract this thing. But we've got the public square. I mean, no matter how big you are, how small you are, but there's there's basically this thing's been taken to the public square. There's an underlying laced um, weapon of the enemy, I call it. It's this virus. And so this cancel culture is laced with this virus that's producing fear that's really making people think for whatever reason you can cancel just about anything because we've got a bigger problem now. And so even when you try to speak the truth about what's going on with the virus, you could you could even share your personal experience, but yet cancel culture is coming after that too. And so ultimately it's coming after Christianity. It's not just cancel culture. He writes in the book, it's communism and what it's produced over time. And I want to stop right here and let Steve speak to this is a divided nation. That's the end game here. We've got this political battle battlefield. We've got persecution running rampant against the church. And all of these things, these components have been key to produce really a, a culture of not just canceling, but communism. Steve, what, what's what's the end game here? This This thing is absolutely dangerous. It's coming after anybody and everybody, but we can stand. We, we've shown that. We can stand. We've got a job to do. But... That flow, the flow you've got in this book, I think it's important that that you speak to really what's happening. What, what's the end game here, and how has this taken place? Uh, I know you speak. Well, of- I referred to it earlier. It's a, it's an attempt to stamp out Christianity in our culture, and there are a lot of things you can point to. Um, you know, there was a, a Supreme Court case in the late nineteen uh, forties. I need. I need to do my research and, and memorize the exact name of it so I can talk about it better, but I can make my point forgetting where it established that there was a right of privacy in the Constitution, where they they made it up out of thin air. But once they had the right of privacy, then uh, it allowed a whole bunch of other things, such as abortion. Also, Come on. when they they made this thing about separation of church and state, which is a concept that it is a phrase that does not exist in the Constitution. It was a letter from uh, President Thomas Jefferson to the Baptist Association of Danbury, um, Connecticut, who was concerned that the government was going to impose its will on it. and, And he's saying no, there's a wall of separation. He, he was saying that the church would be protected, but the enemies of God and the church have used it the other way around, where you can say practically anything. I mean, they're even putting pornography in t- uh, textbooks in the school. Uh, and a person who has a ministry um, on this actually showed me, just showed me for a split second I kind of wanted to see with my own eyes. And there were little cartoon figures uh, that were telling children that there were certain sexual acts that I won't describe in too much detail. It was right there. I couldn't believe it. You can do all that kind of stuff. But if you mention God or even here in, in Seminole County, Florida, a number of years ago, some school child was reprimanded for drawing the the what the uh, Catholics call the Holy Family at Christmas you know, the nativity, 
was reprimanded for bringing religion into the classroom. Now, when that was found out, the powers that be came down on that teacher and that principal, like they say in the South, like a, a ton of bricks. And that didn't happen a second time. But I mean, you know, how stupid, how stupid. But that's the way the culture's going. And we have to stand up. But you know what? Uh, here in the South where I live, there's there's always been this kind of, you know, they call it the Bible Belt, but a lot of it was hypocrisy and a facade of Christianity. You know, where you'd go to the right church downtown, usually had big columns and a big steeple, and it was good for business. But everybody knew that they were a bunch of segregationists, racist. You know, this was back in the day, less so today. And that they lived like the devil all week, but boy, they were on the church pew on Sunday morning. Now it's getting to where people don't even bother to go to church and, and make fun of people that go to church. But it's also separating, the Bible says, the wheat from the chaff. Right. And, um, and if, in a way, that's good. You know, Jesus said either be hot or cold, or he'd, if you're lukewarm, he'd um, spew you out of his mouth. By the way, I'm looking up on my computer while I'm talking to you that a podcast I did with you on July 28th, 2021 called uncompromised revival has 17,000 downloads. That's, that's pretty good. Wow. And it's, it seems, um, and there were two others here is clarity in chaos on January 29th, 2021. That has 10,000 so I've done three podcasts with you, apparently. And Caleb Cooper says prophetic breakthrough happened at the Capitol. And that was um, on January 8th. And that's 18,000. So that's that's like 35,000 downloads. I had no idea. I, I But I'm going to put this podcast with your permission Absolutely. on my own podcast. And then, and then I need to do an interview with you. You know, I've, I've been a journalist longer than you've been alive, and um, um, I need to find out more about what's going on out there with the revival movement and your sheriff and, and you know, why does your governor up to? I think that would be a good podcast, and we need to schedule that in the next week or so. That sounds like a plan. Yes, let's do it. Well, well Steve, as, as we're dialoguing here, you know, America's in a mess, but the church is not dead. We are alive. You know, I think it's chapter nine. You address, you know, we got to be the church. Right, Steve? We, we got to be the church in the midst of this. We're, we're not going to get out a cancel culture free card that's just going to fly out of heaven. We've got a battle on our hands, right? We're in total spiritual conflict. We know that the last days are here. Jesus began to reveal there'd be signs all over the place. We're seeing so many signs, including pestilence. Whether it's pandemic or plandemic, there's a sickness on the land and it's impacting lives. But from your perspective, and you also write about hurricanes of revival, in the midst of this, you were able to track, and I love this about your book, you were able to track what the Spirit of God was doing in ministries, even in the midst of this. It's kind of what you were just talking about there, that though there's all this negativity and bad news and different things happening, um, there are some people standing and we are a threat including yourself, to the powers of darkness and the plan and the agenda that I believe the Antichrist beast system wants to release in the last days as this thing goes down. And so what did you find when you were writing this book and kind of documenting? Because I've always told you, we, we've talked in, in private, I, I've, I've felt 
there is a strong anointing on your life to capture the flow of things in the earth, including the church in its response. And maybe you can think about one story in the book that really just would be impactful to maybe even the pastors out there right now that might be struggling in the midst of this to encourage them. We, we've, we've got to contend. Well, you know, it'd be real easy to get depressed um, <laughs> with everything going on. And one of the ways I cope with it is I don't watch network news. I mean, I used, I used to turn on Fox at six o'clock and watch uh, bear uh, Brett bear you know, and then go all the way through Laura Ingram at 10. I don't do that anymore. I mean, I'm so disgusted with Fox News. And you know what? My life's a whole lot happier if I don't know the latest, craziest thing. And the really important stuff, of course, you find out and you can read quickly online. <laughs> right. But I wanted to call the book All Things Work Together for Good because as Christians, you know, that God's word is true. And whether it was during the Roman occupation and the Roman government was far worse than the Biden administration. I mean, <laughs> you know, it doesn't even compare. And of course, Hitler and Stalin and, uh, you know, the civil war that happened in Rwanda and we can go right down the line. And that scripture is true. All things work together for good because it's like somebody said, we read the back of the book and we win. We believe that Jesus is going to reign supreme uh, at the end of time. It does look like we're going toward the end of time at warp speed. I never thought I would live through this, but we could see, I could see the beginnings of a lot of this stuff back in the, you know, the seventies before you were born, but it's happening at warp speed. But we who are believers, all things do work together for good. And God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And he's promised to take care of us. But I thought, how in the world can I write a book with the uh, title that you got to explain before people even know what it's about? <laughs> but so I made that the last chapter. And um, there are good things. I write about brave pastors, mainly out in California. Cheon, who won at the Supreme Court level. Uh, the city of Pasadena went way beyond Governor Newsom. They they gave a fine of one thousand dollars per service per attendee, mm. and people came from all over the country to stand with Che. And it's almost impossible. We tried for the book to calculate how much the fines would have been, but it would have been in the millions of dollars. And they won, and the state of California had to reimburse their $1.2 million legal bill. But my, the question I ask is why should any American have to sue the, spend $1.2 million to sue the government for their constitutional rights? Uh, Rob McCoy in uh, Thousand Oaks, a little bit up the road from Pasadena, also very strong. Greg Farrington up by, right outside Sacramento. But they also told how timid the other pastors in the area were. And then finally, when Governor Newsom allowed them to have church, they had um, big signs that said back to normal or rejoicing that the government had said they could have church. You know, the question is, the Bible says we should have church. It very clearly says, forsaken not the assembling together of yourselves. And we don't want to go back to normal. We can't. That's part of the problem. Churches are just you know, playing around at church. But 
there, there are a lot of people, uh, neither Cheon nor Greg Farrington had been political at all. Rob McCoy had been uh, political because he actually served on the city commission, or maybe they call it a city council. In fact, he resigned um, because he knew that his colleagues would vote to censor him. And what they did was they opened their church for communion. They let three people come in at a time. They practiced social distancing. You know, they came in and took communion and then left, kind of like the Catholics do in a way. They were very, they cleaned their church. They were very careful, blah, 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 blah. And they were, they were cited for violating the law. I mean, it's wow. like we don't even have a First Amendment. Now, there are emergencies that happen. You know, if there's an earthquake in California, they, on Saturday night, uh, they don't have church on Sunday. I mean, they can't. When we have a hurricane down here in Florida, um, in fact, one year, uh, 2004, I'll never forget, we had three hurricanes right in a row, and they all hit on the weekend. And so our churches were closed, but so was Walmart. Right. So were the grocery <laughs> stores. It, you couldn't be out on the street because your life was in danger, and the police were off the street. You know what I'm saying? So... That wasn't to violate our constitutional rights, and it only lasted until the hurricane blew through. It wasn't the new normal. And, um, you know, yes, we have freedom of religion, but we can't have a church service in the middle of the interstate highway. I mean, you know, there are some, you know, even though we have freedom of of religion, I mean, you know, we we all do have common sense. Uh, but our rights do not go away. Our constitutional rights do not go away when there's a crisis, period. And thankfully, uh, as I said earlier, the courts have upheld that. But uh, Mario Murillo is the one who gave this uh, word picture about hurricanes of revival. Of course, I quote him extensively. And a hurricane happens when there's a real low pressure, an unusually low, low low-pressure system. And the uh, the wind rushes into the low pressure system to equalize it. I mean, this is what happens with the weather. If you ever watch the Weather Channel, you know they talk about the low pressure and the high pressure and all that kind of stuff. But it is so fast that sometimes it rushes in at, at uh, if it's over seventy five miles an hour. You know they call it a hurricane. And he's saying that there's such a vacuum, there's a low pressure of spiritual. Um, awareness, let's say, and that God's spirit is that wind that's flowing into the vacuum and it's going to create hurricanes of revival. And uh, I was just with a few days ago, uh, Barry McGuire uh, from McGuire's Wax, who's just uh, a magnificent uh, Christian businessman who loves to share his faith and we were talking about it, and he says it's. Ne- and he's been sharing his faith. He claims to have shared his faith and moved somebody closer to Jesus every single day for the last forty years. And you know, I was asking him about wow. it, and he says it's never been easier. Never been easier.